We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Throughout history, different countries, there have been uprisings. Someone thought maybe that the government was not doing what they should. Maybe there was an uprising because of uh, clashes of uh, the indigenous people in a country and others that had come to that country and taken over land. Uprising many times has a negative connotation. Uh, if you've ever had children before, uh, you've probably had an uprising in your house uh, and you don't know what happens. And, and uh, Don't you just love those times when you've got three or four or five children in the house and something happens and you just walk in. You don't know who the guilty one is, but you just know something's been going on. And uh, I don't know if your family's like that, but did all five of you get in trouble? A lot of times I thought, that's not fair. That's not fair. It's always my older brother that was getting doing uh, whatever it was. But I want to turn that word around just a little bit and I want to call it a rising up. Not an uprising with a negative connotation, but I want to call it in a positive way, a rising up. In the United States of America today, do we need a rising up? I believe we do. I believe the church has been silent on some things and I talk about the church countrywide, worldwide. We don't need to be silent on many things. There are um, institutions that have been silent. They need to rise up, take a stand. And we're going to see one of the greatest passages in the scripture when something, uh, circumstance needed someone to rise up. And so I want to ask you to enjoy the scripture with me and walk through this. Thank you, Jake, for reading that. Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 35 through verse 41. Remember, we have been reading about the parables of Jesus. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark tells about the parables first. And now he's going to enter into a section that he's going to teach about the miracles of Jesus. The miracles authenticate the parables. In uh, John chapter 3, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, he said, No man can do the miracles that you do. You must be from God. And truly, the miracles were mighty works that only God's power could do. So they authenticate the parables that we've already studied. We're going to see, not tonight, we'll just look at one of them. But we're going to see in the next section four different miracles that Jesus does. He's going to show his sovereign authority, his power over several different hostile powers that fought against Christ and against us. First of all, there's going to be a storm at sea. Almost always when a storm arises... A storm takes place, it's because of, of the enemy or because of sin. You remember Jonah. Why did the storm take place there? Well, if you'll throw me in the, in the water, that storm will cease, and it did. Many times it's for judgment or it's the, it's the power of the enemy that's allowed. Uh, they have a, a, a connotation of the word storms there as being evil. So he's going to show his power over the, a storm at sea. He's going to show his power over demon possession. Never think that, that Jesus and the devil have a tug of war and it's back and forth. Satan can only do what he gets permission to do. He is a created being. He's not eternal as Jesus is. So he can only do, do what he's allowed to do. And Jesus is going to show his power over demon possession. He's going to show his power over an incurable disease that's why when someone is sick today and the doctors say we don't know anything else to do, do we stop praying? No, because Jesus can do anything. And he told us to ask. And I pray till the very last moment because how do we know, like David, that God might not 
choose to do something else. That's number three. And then the fourth one, he's going to show his power over death. Tonight we're going to see Jesus' power over nature and over a storm at sea. Mark 4.31 says, On that day, when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. We need to find out what the other side of what he's talking about. He's talking about the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever been there, it's a beautiful place surrounded by hills, uh, a very calm place now. During Jesus' day, it would have been hustle and bustle. It was a thriving economic place because uh, God had created this, this sea. It's called several different things. You might have heard the Sea of Chinnereth. Chinnereth is a lyre, L-Y-R-E, or a harp. And actually, the, the Sea of Galilee is kind of a shape of a harp, so it's been called that. It's been called the Lake of Gennesaret. And it's been called the Sea of Tiberias. Tiberias is a city right on uh, the shores of the Sea of Galilee today, just like it was in Jesus' time. So when you hear those four different names, it's all talking about the same place. This lake is 12 and a half miles long, and it, it is four to seven and a half miles across it. Kind of gives you an idea of how big. 682 feet below the level of the Mediterranean Sea. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. God has caused it to be a huge basin. Uh, it is uh, very, very deep, 160-something feet deep uh, at some places, 80 to 160 feet. It is fed by a freshwater river, and that's why it's so clean and fresh water. And during Jesus' day, it was known for an abundance of fish. One of the reasons why there are so many different kinds of fish and so many is because there was so much fish food in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, shrimp and all kinds of little uh, crustaceans and different things that larger fish feed on. So this was an economic boom during Jesus' day. It's also been called the cradle of the gospel because right on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee is the city of Capernaum. And that's where Jesus and his disciples spent most of the time for the three years of his ministry. In fact, he called it when they went back to his own city. He wasn't talking about Nazareth there. He was talking about Capernaum. So uh, if any of you have ever been there, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. But one thing about the Sea of Galilee that's very well known, surrounded by mountains and uh, like a, a, a passageway, a valley, where wind can come around the mountains and come across that sea, that, that lake, and start whipping up the waves very quickly and very violently. In fact, the only time I've be, ever been out on a boat there, I was praying for all you guys. I was praying for Denton Bible Church, the classes that I teach on Sunday morning. And I was praying for them. I'd actually texted or called my wife and had her connect with the class at the time. And it was, it was fun to tell them I'm praying for you. But we got out on a boat, calm as could be. And in just a little while, the, the waves were white capping and they said, we have to go in. A storm arose just like it did many times in the scripture. So... We're going to see here that Jesus is going to take his disciples across the other side. And the other side of what he's talking about is the Sea of Galilee. It's also called the cradle of the gospel. The Sea of Galilee has been called the cradle of the gospel. Now, one of the things I want you to notice real clearly before we go any further, who is doing the saying? Let us, who's that? That's Jesus. Go to the other side. So he's talking about himself and those that are with him, those disciples that are with him, go to the other side 
of the Sea of Galilee. If anybody ever talks to you about uh, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility or uh, the limit of man's free will, uh, I've had discussions for 45 years, maybe longer than that. Well, we have free will to do this. We have free will to do that. Our free will is limited. I may say, I am going to walk out these doors. I'm going to drive to Dallas, Texas, and I'm going to join the, the Dallas Mavericks. I'll be their new center. Now, I could think I'm going to be. I could convince you, possibly, probably not, that I could be. But are there obstacles to that happening, even if I will it as much as I could? Yes, I think I'm a little short of a lot of ways in stature and ability and a lot of other things. Our will is limited. Christ's will is not. Let me give you another example. I could go out of here and say, I'm going to go out these doors and tonight I'm going to find someone at, at uh, Whataburger and I'm going to share Christ with them. Is there anything that could hinder me from doing what I said? That's my will. I'm free to do that. Is there anything that could hinder me from doing that? What could it be? What was it, sir? Christ. If he does not will that, if he does not allow that, if he does not, I could walk out those doors and have a heart attack and die. I could have a wreck on 380. You really can have a wreck on university. Did you know that? My goodness. Uh, I could get distracted. I could get a phone call that I need to go somewhere else. So many things are limiting to my will. So it's not me saying, hey, let's go out and eat tonight after church. Because a lot of things could alter that. But when the Son of God, the co-creator of the universe says, let us go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, what can alter that? Only God himself, only Jesus himself. The only thing that could stop that from happening is the creator alter his will. So it's not like you and I give our will and say, let's go do that. We can have good intentions, but not get it done. So Jesus is doing the talking. He's talking to us, that's the disciples, and he's talking to, uh, about them going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And I want to tell you what, Jesus is worn out. I ask everybody when I see you for the first time in a week, I say, how are you? And I love, I really mean that. I don't say that just to being flippant or uh, just to uh, being cordial. I really want to know what you've been going through, what's been going on at your house, and how's your job, and how's your family, and are you well and safe, and and a lot of times I see people say, well, you know, I'm really tired. Don't forget that Jesus was a human. He got hungry. Oh, I shouldn't mean, mention that on Sunday evening when preacher's preaching because that happens, doesn't it? Uh, he got hungry. He got sick. He got tired. And Jesus is exhausted. The crowds have followed him everywhere. They pressed around him. They wanted things from him. They wanted to be healed. They wanted to be fed. They wanted things. And uh, Jesus tells them, we, we've already read in the gospel, get a boat ready. <laughs> get a boat ready so we can get away. This is a passage that's going to show Jesus is exhausted. He is humanly uh, as tired, I believe, as he could be. Notice what it says in verse 36. Leaving the crowd, and that's what's been for the previous chapters, they took him along with them in the boat, disciples, just as he was, and other boats were with him. That's kind of an odd phrase in that verse. They took him just as he was. Now, it's probably, I don't want to read anything into that. 
It's probably just meaning just like he was. He's worn out. He is tired in the same clothes he's had on. Just what he was. uh, He's hungry. But I can't help when I see that just as he was. uh, Think about that beautiful hymn, Just As I Am. I grew up watching Billy Graham with my mom. Billy Graham was instrumental in my life, that ministry. Uh, And it's just a wonderful old hymn that uh, says, Just As I Am. We come to Christ just as we are. And you know, I thought about that phrase, just as he was. The only way I could come to Christ just as I am, pretty broken, pretty sinful, in need of a Savior, and have help is because he was just as he was. Because Jesus was just as he was, you and I can come to him just as we are, and he can change our lives. So that phrase is in there for some reason. They took him just as he was, and other boats were with him. He can't even get away from the crowd because they get a boat too. Interestingly, uh, for a long time, people didn't realize what kind of boats that they had. But in 1986, as late as that, they discovered uh, during a drought time in Israel, they discovered in the mud that had been uh, covered up for many, many uh, centuries, a boat. And it is in a museum right now uh, outside of uh, the city there, in the city. And it's called the Jesus Boat. And it's cool. It is, uh, there's some of the, the wood that is still there. You see all the shape of it. You see how big it was. Some of it's deteriorated, but it would have been preserved in that mud for all of these years. And it gave them an idea. Hey, this could have been a boat that Jesus and his disciples or Peter and Andrew, the rest of them might have fished off that boat. And so it's really neat to see that. You can just uh, look it up on a computer if you'd like to tonight. It's just called the Jesus boat. Uh, he got in that boat. Other boats followed him because the crowd was still in search of what Jesus could do for them. And then in verse 37, now what do we, we, we've started saying, Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Let us, that's who, go where? To the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Can there be things happen in our lives before we get where we're going? Can there be roadblocks? Can there be flat tires? Can there be uh, emotional situations? Can there be family troubles, financial troubles, all different kinds of troubles? I want to ask before I go any further here tonight, just so when we have a closing prayer in a minute, I want to be thoughtful of that for you. Is anybody here, you don't don't tell us what it is unless you want to afterward privately, but is anybody going through a storm right now in your life? Anybody? You don't mind saying that? Okay, right back there. I want to be sure and pray with you and encourage you about that right there. Anybody else going through a storm? No matter how old you are, right there could be. All of us go through storms. They may be emotional, mental, physical, maybe with our family. It could be situations in a marriage with children. It could be our health. Oh, so many people that are ill right now. Thank you, those of you who have prayed for my eight-month-old grandson. Had COVID for three and a half weeks, and he was a sick little baby. And uh, he is so much better. We got to play with him all day long yesterday. And uh, thank you for praying for him. I don't take those prayers lightly. We need to pray for one another. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. But he did not say, something may happen before we get there. Can you relate to that in your life? You've got a knowledge of God's will, what he wants you to do, maybe a career. You're starting out, you're going to school for a certain thing. Are there things that can happen before you get where you're going? 
There are in all of our lives. One of the greatest messages is found in this passage, though. What did Jesus say to him? Let us. He's not saying, well, I'm going to get there. I don't know about you. He said, let us. We're all going. Get to the other side. What can we learn from this? Verse 37. And there arose a fierce gale of wind. And the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Now, we're going to see that Peter, Andrew, the rest of those fishermen, James and John, they are scared to death. Now, these guys make their living on the Sea of Galilee in a boat. So if this storm is scaring those guys, this was some kind of storm. Now, I think that's why it uses that, those words, a fierce gale. It was not a little uh, wind blowing. It was a terrible, fearful storm. Waves coming over the boat, filling up the boat. They think. They're actually going to die. They're not going to get to the other side. Remember, it's only about four or seven miles across at the, at the widest. I want you to notice that word arose. A fierce gale arose. In Greek, that word is used as the symbol of something like a, a powerful animal. It would be like a bear rising up. You're in the mountains of Colorado where you grew up and and all of a sudden you hear something you're not used to hearing and you turn around and a friend of mine's got a video right there. She just was enjoying the three little cubs in Colorado eating out of the trash can and she was just filming them and, and uh, some of her friends were saying, come back, back up, back up. And she didn't know that mama bear had gotten about this close to her. And you hear the sound of that mother bear snort and it's pretty scary to hear it. That bear had risen up. It's like a lion that would rise up against its prey. And so this is talking about something scary, something powerful. Uh, there arose a fierce gale of wind and the waves were breaking over the boat. Uh, one of the first things in this passage is we realize the weariness of Jesus. He was tired. The second thing is the reality of trouble in our world. Now we don't have any little children here tonight. These are, these are growing up here. But we teach our little children there's no such thing as monsters, you know, in their room, basically. We look under the bed for them. We look in the closet for them. We tell them that's the tree outside the window. We've all done that before. But as they get older, what do they find out? There are some tough things that happen in the world. There are some bad things. And I tried with our children to shelter them as much as I could when they were young. But at age appropriate to let them know, not everybody's going to treat you right. And you can't let that affect you. Do the best you can. Love them in Christ. Get away from them if there's any danger. But realize most people will want to treat you nice, but there are the other kind. The second thing of this passage is that there are, there are times of trouble in our world. And we're seeing around us right now... I think I mentioned this to you before, but I want to say it again. In one of the classes on Sunday morning, I asked uh, how many people at times are fearful for their grown children where they've had to live. They've had to live in the city, in an apartment, in an area that might not be safe. And I knew what I was going to do. I thought about that in my life. My daughter had lived in an apartment in an area of a big town that was not safe. And I prayed much about that. But people all over the room said, yes, we've been there before, we've been there before. And I turned to a couple in the church and I said, what about you? Do you ever wonder about your child and where they live? Tell us where your daughter is. And they said, Beirut, Lebanon. 
And I had to say, uh, you win. <laughs> that neighborhood in Arlington or Dallas, whatever it was that I was worried about, their daughter and son-in-law were actually in Beirut, Lebanon, serving the Lord there. So we can find in all of our lives, we can find things that rise up. It's a show of power. Uh, it can be in your life to die. It can be storms that are, that are coming uh, of all different forms. You get a phone call and the doctor says, you need to come in. We need to talk to you about the test we ran. And your life can be altered in one moment. You get a phone call, somebody that you loved has passed away and, and, and things are never the same. You can get a pink slip at your job and you've done well and you've done all you could for them and they, for some reason they have let you go. So picture that in your life. This is, a, this is a, a storm rising up like a powerful animal that wants to harm. There's other kinds of storms today. Would you agree with me? There's political unrest, racial divide. Man, I tell you what, if we just love each other like Jesus told us to love each other, we wouldn't have a problem with race because there's no race any better than any other one. We're all of the same race. Did you know that? We're all of Adam's race. That's what God said. And we wouldn't have the troubles that we have today if the church would just be the church and everybody else would want to be like the church. But we have cultural divisions. We have suicides on the rise. We have school shootings. Depression right now. The church is dealing with more people with depression than we've ever seen in all the years of our ministries. Anxiety, panic attacks, and depression. And uh, I want to tell you, if you're dealing with that, do not be ashamed. Come and talk with us. You need to attack that. You don't need to passively say, it'll go away, it'll get better tomorrow. No, you need to attack that. And God can help you do that. So there's all different kind of storms that rise up. And in America today, I have to say, and would you agree with me, we need a rising up. I don't think there's going to be anything fix some of the struggles we're facing in America today except an act of God. I think it's going to take a mighty act of God to turn some of the things around in our country. A lot of things in our country are good. They're better than they ever have been. But many things are not God honoring. He's not pleased with them. And we know that when Israel did the same things that the United States is doing now, God judged them. We're not his favorite. We're not more important than Israel. God keeps his word and we cannot do some of the things we're doing in our country and expect God's favor to remain. But we know that our God can act. It will take an act of God, but, can, but should we ask him for it? I believe so. God has changed the whole world at the prayer of one person before. How many of you uh, the last few years have felt like when you were in called on to pray and you saw 2 Chronicles seven fourteen? if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their, their wicked way, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. And you think, well, I'm just one person. We're just one family. We're one church. Can our prayers make a difference? God has changed the world through one person's prayer many times. And so it's not the big church or the big family or the most important people that we might think of. It's your prayer. It may be your prayer that God says, do that because my daughter asked me to. 
I have a son and a daughter. And guys, I want to tell you, there's nothing I wouldn't do for them if it was good for them and I had the power to do it. I mean nothing. And God's a whole lot better than I am. (laughs) So why wouldn't he? We need a rising up in this country. Not an uprising. We need a rising up. And we'll see how we can do that as we go a little further. Verse 38 says, Jesus himself, now this storm is crashing in and I can just see Peter and Andrew and James and John, that's two sets of brothers. Have you ever seen a storm like that? I haven't ever seen one like that. Look at all the water in this boat. We've got to do something. We're going to drown here in a little bit. Where in the world is Jesus? And the Bible says Jesus himself was in the stern, the back of the ship, asleep on the cushion. Those boats had a leather type cushion, like a seat where someone could go and sit in a little bit more privacy in the back of the boat. So they're all looking around. Where is Jesus? You know, he's the one who told us to get in the boat to go to the other side. You mean he is asleep? Now, before we give Peter, James, John, Andrew, and the rest of the disciples a hard time, how many of us, be honest, God can take it, and it's okay for us to be honest with him, have felt like sometimes when we needed him, he was asleep? We wanted him to act quickly, wanted him to hear our prayer, we wanted him to do something on our behalf that would change the circumstances, and it seemed like we got no answer. Seemed like he was silent, seemed like that he wasn't there. Some of the greatest times in my life were when God God let me know he was so present with me when I didn't feel like he was. Read David, the psalmist. Oh Lord, why is my soul disquieted within me? Why don't I feel close to you as I have before? Why am I going through this, Lord? Where are you? And the psalmist goes on to say, hope in God, for I'll again praise him. He's right here. He's going to fix this. He's going to carry me through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. See, David's saying, even when I don't feel like it or I don't sense your presence as close, I know you're there. Jesus said in Hebrews, I, Tyler, isn't this a good one? I'll never leave you or forsake you. Have we all had friends that left us before? Yeah, we have, haven't we? We turn around expecting them to stand by our side and they are gone. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or desert you. I'll never run out on you. So it says, he's down in the boat. You know this story. He's asleep on a pillow. Far back in the back of the boat, down in the bottom. And he wasn't just nodding. Tony Evans, uh, when he was here not long ago, he said, he wasn't just nodding off like in church on Sunday morning. (laughs) We do that sometimes, don't we? And we're little, he, was, he was hunkered down in that boat. He had got that pillow stuffed up underneath him and he is crashed. He is weary. He's worn out. That's the setting we find ourselves. And sometimes we have felt like that before. Jesus must be asleep. God must be somewhere else, helping somewhere else because I've asked him, I haven't heard anything. There's an interesting part of this. Look at the next part of the verse. Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? This is funny. Uh, They woke him. What does woke mean in the the, the, uh, current vernacular today? If you are woke, it's pretty bad grammar, but if you are woke, they tell us that you have a perceived awareness of issues that concern social justice or racial justice. 
a woke generation has been awakened to the fact that we have these problems between one another. Uh, a lot of times I've been something before somebody called me what I was. And so if somebody calls you woke, that's what they're talking about. But I want to ask you a question. Was Jesus woke? Was Jesus aware of the issues that they were facing on the Sea of Galilee that day? He was the most aware. But he had said what to them? Let's go to the other side. He didn't say, let's go to the other side and we're going to have a huge storm before we get there. And you and I don't have everything spelled out for us in our life ahead of time. It'd be kind of nice to have that sometimes, wouldn't it? Oh God, won't you tell me all the mountains and the valleys before we get there? Paul in the book of Acts had heard by, by God, you're going to testify to me at Rome. But he had to get snake bit. He had to get uh, crashed in the, in the sea. He had to, to be stoned and almost uh, d- dead before it. God didn't tell him all those things have to happen first, but Paul knew, I'm not going to die from this because God said, I'm going to testify before him in Rome. So whatever you know God's leading in your life, you hold fast. God can get you to the other side, even if a storm arises. Notice what it says. They woke him and said to him, teacher. Now that's pretty good. Teacher meant rabbi. He has been teaching him the parables. But what had he been trying to teach them? Believe what I say. Trust in my words. One of the greatest examples, I think, in all the scripture is found in 1 Kings 17. We won't take time to read it there, but it's when Elisha was sent to the widow and God said, I'm going to command a widow there to provide for you. So Elisha thinks, okay, there's a drought. It's not going to, Elijah, excuse me, Elijah. It's not going to rain for three and a half years. People are hungry and thirsty. But God's got some rich widow that probably lives in a really nice house that's going to take care of me. He shows up and there's a little lady gathering a few sticks to make the last bit of food for her and her little boy and they're going to die. What would you think? Uh Uh-oh, I took a wrong turn somewhere. Wrong widow. But that was exactly who Elijah was sent to And Elijah was called to trust God no matter what it looked like, felt like, what others said about it. I have commanded this widow woman to feed you and take care of you. Elijah turns to that little woman. I shouldn't say little. I don't know how how, how little or big she was. But that widow woman and say, go make me something to eat. She's making her last meal for herself and her little boy and they're gonna die. And Elijah has the audacity to say, make something for me first. Now that's the height of rudidity. Is that a word? I don't think that's a word. How could he do that? Does he not care for that? You know what Elijah believes? If God said it, he will keep his word. It sounds kind of cliche. If God brings you to it, God will bring you through it. He turns to that widow, says, make me something to eat. She goes and cooks something, taking it out of her little boy's mouth to give to the man of God. And when she did that, she went back and she found there's some more food in the house. And she fed herself and her little boy. And then she did that and fed Elijah again. She went back and there's some more food in the house. God did a miracle and provided for her while she obeyed Against reason, the word of God. You want a blessing? Dare to do what Jesus said 
when out there in the whole world is telling you, you're crazy. You are crazy. Dare to do what Jesus says and watch him keep his word. Notice what they said. Teacher, I want, I want to say to them, if he's your teacher, did you learn anything? Uh, I remember people making fun of us when we were young and said, we buy your books, send you to school, and all you do is eat the cover. You ever hear that before? They weren't too satisfied with our level of education we were getting. Teacher, well, if he's your teacher, learn that if Jesus said you're going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, you're going to get there. And notice the next part, it says, don't you care that we're perishing? Isn't that kind of strange asking the Son of God? Do you care about us? Do you even care? There is no one that cares any more for us than God the Father and his son Jesus. Don't you care? That's almost comical, isn't it? Jesus probably could just say, what? Have you heard anything that I've taught? I'm about to go to Calvary and die for you. How's that for caring? Don't you care? And it said the next thing, we're perishing, we're dying. I've got to ask you this question. Have you ever felt like you're dying, but you're really not? Oh, Lord, it's so hard what I'm going through, but it really isn't that bad. Were they dying yet? No. They were afraid of dying, but they're not dying yet, are they? So Jesus shows them here. They said, teacher, don't you care? We're going to die. And their fear had made them afraid of dying that day. But you know what else that fear did? That fear caused them to run to the right place. They ran to Jesus who could do something about it. Now, what's risen up so far in this story? So far, the only thing that's risen up is a storm. Rose up in mighty power to affect them. Sometimes we may feel like we're dying, by the way. Listen to this quote. A man or woman in the will of God is indestructible until God gets through using them. Isn't that an encouraging phrase? A man or woman in the will of God is indestructible until God gets through using them. No power formed against you, no weapon formed against you will prosper if God is protecting you. Next, we see the miraculous power of Jesus. Notice verse 39. And he got up. Every time in the Gospels where Jesus moved, something tremendous happened. Every time in the Gospels where Jesus stopped from moving to look around, something great happened. And now it says, he got up. I've got something at home that says, don't tell God how big the storm is. Tell the storm how big God is. I like that. The storm had risen up to cause harm. And now the one who appeared like he was not woke, appeared like he was not caring, appeared like he was not going to do anything about it and now he gets up he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea hush or peace be still now remember Jesus is still exhausted but when it came time to do his father's will he got up you ladies that are servants of God in the church 
Sometimes when you serve that family uh, a meal at a funeral time, sometimes when you take care of those children, sometimes when you help in other ways, you are exhausted from what you've already done. But who is it that gives you the power to do it anyway? That's God. Paul said it like this, when I'm weak and I'm strong. Jesus was worn out, but when it came time for him to do something in the will of God, he rose up mightily. He got up. We need God to get up in our country. You may need God to get up in your life here tonight because the storm's pretty big. It's pretty powerful. It's loud. The waves are crashing in. Your boat's filling up. You need a rising up. And I want you to notice what happened. When that which had risen up is confronted with that that had been down and that which had been down in the boat now rises up, that that had risen up before has to be put back down. All we need is a bigger storm than what was happening on the lake that day and the bigger storm is Jesus. When what was down rose up, that that had risen up before was put down because creation has to obey Jesus. It has to obey God. There's an old hymn, Rise up, O men of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of kings. Rise up, church. Rise up, O men of God. We need to rise up. You may need it in your family. I deal with men on Wednesday morning, a great Bible study right here in this place, 7 to 7.50. There's 200 men that are faithful from other churches even that join us. They are faithful men of God. But they come with tears in their eyes. And I'm talking about some of these are men's men. And they tell me, Mike, would you pray for me? I haven't been the husband I should. I haven't been the churchman I should. I haven't been the dad that I should. But from this day forward, by God's power, I'm gonna commit to being all those things that Jesus will give me strength to do. You know what they're doing? They're rising up. They're rising up. I love the phone calls from the wives that say, Mike, you don't know me very well, but what happened to my husband? Isn't that good? I don't do anything. The Holy Spirit got a a hold of that guy and convicted him. And I'll guarantee you, I need convicting a lot. How about you? I've been in the church a long time, preaching the, the pulpits a long time. I need convicting a lot of times. I need a kick in the pants a lot of times. And I'm thankful when the Holy Spirit does that. If you're here tonight and you need to rise up, man, and be the man of God you're supposed to do, do it tonight. Don't let the storm win. Don't let the waves win. The wind, don't let it. You let Jesus rise up inside of you. Uh, when he said hush, you know what that word is in Greek? It is S-I-O-P-A-O. We think of hush like we would tell our children, be quiet. This is a lot stronger than that. That Greek word means when the Son of God said, hush, be still, there was an impossibility for that storm to make any more noise. When I was a boy growing up, five children in the station wagon with my mom and dad, And if you've never been in a station wagon, guys, you have missed life, I'm gonna tell you. Especially if you're in the back seat waving at the people at the stoplight because you face this way and it's so embarrassing. But I wanna tell you what, if my dad ever pulled over because we were making too much noise or we were arguing or fighting and fussing between one another, we knew something. I wanna tell you, there's been times in my life there was an inability for me to make noise because I was scared to death of my dad. 
That's what that Greek word means. When he said, hush, be still, it wasn't a, oh, they're calming down a little bit. It was an instant, complete stillness. The storm vanished. It was like taking the muzzle on a, uh, on a dog and he cannot or she cannot make a sound. S-I-O-P-A-O. Made to be quiet, an inability to make, make noise. You remember personification, almost through. Remember that in your grammar, in your literary uh, teaching? Personification is giving a human characteristic to an inanimate object. It's like this. When Jesus rose up, he's bigger than the storm, and said, peace be still, if personification would apply to the wind and waves, they would say, oh, is that you, Jesus? Yes, sir, we'll do what you say. That's how instantly that storm was put down. Can you have a terrible situation in your life and you feel like, I don't know if I'll ever get over this. And a few years later, a few months later, a few weeks later sometime, God does something in your life and you think, wow, he's totally undone what I was going through. That's him rising up. He's not asleep to where he can't know. He's woke. He's rising up to put down the storms in our life. If God be for us, who can be against us? Is anything too hard for the Lord? No, your storm, physical, health-wise, family, financial, job, political, racial, mental, emotional, I could just keep going on. If you trust the one who's in the bottom of the boat, and notice he could sleep through it all. He's not worried. And you and I don't have to be worried either. But what would they have to have done to not worry? They'd have to believe what Jesus said no matter what. Let us go to the other side. But Jesus, no, no buts. Can't you see? I see it. We may not make, no, I said, we're gonna go to the other side. And we as a church ought to get great encouragement of that. We know how this ends. Is that my phone ringing? Surely it's not. Uh, it might be. Uh, we know how this book ends, don't we? We know who wins. And there is God saying, trust me, I'll get you to the other side. Uh, the last of this, the wind died down, it became perfectly calm. He said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, who is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? I want to tell you a story as I close here, just for a few moments. Jesus is ready to calm your storm. He can rise up. He's not asleep to not know what's going on. They had to go ask him, Master, we need some help. He rose up, put the storm down, got them to where they were going. The word of God will not be, be thwarted. God will keep his word. Sometimes God puts the storm down and it's a wonderful thing. Let me tell you what happened. God answered my prayer and he took that away and it's not there anymore. You rejoice in that. But sometimes he doesn't stop the storm. He just says, I'll be with you. I'm not gonna take the storm away but grab a pillow, rest. I'm right here with you. John and Tracy were friends of ours. Uh, John was a faithful man of God. Tracy was a faithful woman. They had two sons, fine young men. 
Tracy was a school teacher. John was a pilot, an aircraft mechanic, very skilled, and a drag racer. He, he did a lot of different kind of things. He saved some men's lives in the airplanes because they're, they were about to do some races and uh, something would have killed them and he saved their lives. And John was a man who loved God's word and he did not mind standing for the truth. He was unapologetic. He was a strong, faithful man and a brother. Uh, I'm from tornado country. In tornado country, it's pretty serious sometimes because they can be right upon you and I've been in several of them. I came home one day after picking our children up from school and a tornado was happening. I got home to our home and half of Walmart's roof was on top of our house. The kids' trampoline was on top of the light pole and we'd had a pretty bad tornado. Thankfully, no one was hurt too badly. Another one, I watched the cloud go and I knew right where it was at, called people of our church. Were you in this? Yes, we were. But John and Tracy, a tornado came. They were from Florida and they were used to hurricanes. You know the difference in hurricanes and tornadoes? You get warning of hurricanes. You know they're coming. Tornadoes often you don't. Tracy looked out her window and just saw some of her yard uh, furniture going horizontal across her window. And she realized I'm not in Florida anymore. In a few moments, the mobile home they lived in was picked up and it was tossed in the air, twisted three times in the air and slammed down on the ground and literally was crushed to pieces. One of her sons, right when she saw what was happening, said, we just learned yesterday in school, go get in the bathtub. When the last son's foot hit the bottom of the bathtub, the storm picked up their home, rolled it in the sky and smashed it down. One son was conscious the whole time. The mom was unconscious under four feet of debris and the other son was under there with her. As they told their story, the one son reached over and he could feel his mom's leg and he was touching her and talking to her to see if she was okay. Guys, a tornado is a dangerous, dangerous thing. It's very, very powerful. She regained consciousness. John got home. He worked not very far away at the, the, the airport, got home to find his wife bruised, cut, unconscious, just regaining consciousness. Two boys that had gone through a tremendous storm. We helped them for days when the Abilene uh, reporters came, the news. I was standing right beside John and they said, would you tell us what, what was going through your mind? What happened here? He said, I'll tell you on one condition that you say it just like I say it. And he gave God the credit for his wife and his boys being alive that day. And he said, this was a miracle and I honor Jesus Christ for that. And they put it just like he said it on the news. I loved it. John knew that Christ had stopped the storm and spared his family's life. There's sometimes Jesus is gonna do that for you too. But there's sometimes, he's still gonna get you where you're going, but he may not stop the storm. I got a call not too many months ago. Did you hear what happened to John? John was racing his dragster down the drag strip and at the end of the race, his parachute never deployed and he barreled off the end of that racetrack and died in a terrible crash. And here's his his lovely wife, Tracy, and his two boys. They had already seen God stop the storm and deliver them before, but God didn't stop it this time. I believe John's in heaven today, but Jesus 
is just like in this story, saying to Tracy and those boys, rest with me. This is a different kind of storm. I'm not gonna deal with it the same way as I did before. Rest with me right now and I'll get you where you're going. So sometimes he'll say, peace, be still. Sometimes he'll say, grab a pillow. Mark, come forward with your team, please, and close us. Maybe you're here tonight and you're in that very circumstance where you're wondering, how are we gonna get out of this? What am I gonna do tomorrow? How can I face what I'm going through? How can my family, maybe a child or a grandchild, it may be a, a brother, sister, or boyfriend, or girlfriend, and you think, what, can, what in the world could happen? You turn to Christ, you believe what his word says. He cannot fail. Jesus said, let us go to the other side. And you know what happened the rest of that story? They got to the other side. They got where they were going. Because Jesus keeps his word. Sometimes he says, peace be still, and takes the storm away. Sometimes he says, get in the bottom of the boat with me, grab a pillow, and rest. I'm not gonna stop the storm, but I'm right here with you. We need a rising up, and Jesus is the one that's willing to do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Oh, Lord, I get excited in passages like this because I look back at my life and I think of so many times when my heart is hurting and my mind, I'm confused, and, and my emotions are all over, Lord, because I don't know how to deal with what I'm facing. Jesus, you've always been faithful. You've always done what you said you would do in your word. Help me, before I can say it to the rest of these people here tonight, help me to trust you the way I should. To tell the storms in my life how big you are and to trust you to get me to the other side. I pray, Lord, for this family that I, I shared about tonight, my brothers and sisters, and I love them, and I can't wait to see John in heaven. Continue to give them strength, Lord, in the midst of the storm. And if there's anyone here tonight, Lord, that we could pray with and we could ask you to do what you did there, you rose up and you put down what was causing the problem. It'd be a privilege to pray with them. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing our prayer in your name. Amen.